Project Amnesty. You will select 12 general prisoners convicted and sentenced to death or to long terms of imprisonment for murder, rape, robbery, and or other crimes of violence and so forth. Train and qualify these prisoners in as much of the business of behind-the-lines operations as they can absorb in a brief but unspecified time. You will then deliver them secretly into the European mainland and just prior to the invasion, attack and destroy the target specified overleaf. All right, folks, welcome back to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 105, and today we're going to be talking about The Dirty Dozen. This great and fantastic film has a massive cast and stars the great Lee Marvin, Charles Bronson, Telly Savalas, Ernest Borgnine, and a cast of thousands. Literally thousands. I'm your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Ken. Uh, the general is in the truck, Roni. Steve, I always uh, thought of you as a cold-hearted, calculating kind of cheap podcaster, but I've learned you're really quite emotional. <laughs> I am, at times. Uh, and uh, very nice, like that one. Also joining us is our other very good and dear friend, Jeff. I'm just a grubworm, Muncie. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I, I, I knew it. Um, Steve, you've heard podcaster deliver podcasts before. Just talk slow, look dumb, and act stupid. Just talk into the microphone and straight back to the front. The listeners are expecting a podcast here today, and that's exactly what they're going to get. Wow. Gentlemen, I have to say, you two uh, have stepped above and beyond the call of duty on that one. Those are awesome, awesome quotes. Very well done. Uh, folks, our other very good and dear friend, Mark Obengruppenfuhrer Slover, unfortunately is not able to be here. He is on spring break and is visiting his father down in the uh, the hills of Tennessee, and he sends his regrets and regards that he isn't here to be or isn't here to uh, partake in this great and fantastic uh, Man Cave review. But nevertheless, uh, the other two stalwarts of the show are here, so we are going to move on. All right, so folks, we're going to be talking about uh, The Dirty Dozen, and I know for some of you guys out there who have been listening to us for some time, you have been begging for this particular uh, movie to be reviewed, and we've also talked about it before. It's like, how in the hell have we not done this? We're, we've done this show for two years. How has this particular movie come up as uh, episode 105, and you know what? I, I have no idea. Steve, uh, it's pure incompetence. I blame Mark. You know, he was wanting to do movies like, uh, you know, Saving Nemo and stuff like that. We were always arguing we had to sell for something. So Yeah, he had I, us I, distracted. I, the I, last I, thing I heard him requesting was Black Swan. And <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's why he's not here tonight. We, um, we just couldn't allow it. In the penalty box he goes. Ah! <laughs> uh, yeah, well, th so there you go, folks. That's why it's all Mark's fault. So anyway, uh, we are going to be talking about The Dirty Dozen. It's one of the older movies we've done. It doesn't look that old of a movie. It was made in, uh, well, gosh, it's as old as I am because it was made in 1967. Ancient. Yeah, it's, uh, it's got arthritis. It's got uh, tendonitis. Uh, um, all the things that I'm suffering from right now, that's what this movie is. I mean, when you heard the real clicking, that was, that was my arthritis. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of the great World War II movies that are out there. 
let's go to the Man Cave movie review intro of this great and fantastic film so everybody knows what we're talking about. U.S. Army major is assigned a dozen convicted murderers to train and lead them into a mass assassination mission of German officers in World War II. It's Judgment Day, sinners. Come out, come out, wherever you are. Oh, that just never gets old to me. I was looking for all the quotes for her to do, and she's like, how does this make sense? It's a World War II movie. What? Judgment? Sinners? What? And I'm like, just read the line, sweetie. <laughs> She's she a saint. She is a saint. She is a saint. I just said, just read the line. Just never mind. It, it all makes sense to the people that are listening to it. So there you go, folks. That is what this great and fantastic film is about. It is a uh, covert operation. It, you know, sent behind enemy lines. We're trying to take out the uh, high command in uh, of Germany in France right before the Normandy invasion. And um, this was one of those periods, I think, in the in the 60s, they were just cranking out World War II movies left and right. When you look back, I mean, you saw this. Kelly's Heroes was early 70s, but it had that look, that feel, that grittiness. But they were putting out a lot of these movies during that time period. I mean, Ken, you, you probably remember even better than I do. Uh, again, I'm a little older. I can actually remember. I didn't see this at the movies because as a little boy, there's no way my parents would have taken me to see this movie. But... I can remember at the movie theater down the street from school, the marquee, I can remember in big letters walking up one day and just looking at her and says, but dirty doesn't. And I looked at the posters. I'm like, cool. But of course I didn't get to go see it. Yeah. It's been around. Uh, you know, it, it came out. This was a golden age for world war two movies. Uh, cause a, a thing we've commented on a number of times is one. This is only you know, the sixties is like 15 or 20 years after world war two. Number one. I mean, that's in the easy memory of most Americans at the time. And every other actor you, you know, tripped over in Hollywood was, a, you know, had some service in the war. So, uh, it was a, it was an interesting period that lent itself to a lot of great movies. Well, and that's a good point, Ken. Half the stars that are in this movie worse i mean serving frontline soldiers in the war i mean they weren't like clerks or typists i mean these guys were up in the front lines so it, it it's kind of interesting when you see that it's like i wonder how they felt about it when they were doing it. it's like okay i'm you know the war's not been over that long in their mind it's you know 20 years 15 20 years and here i am back in the uniform recreating what i saw well, I know in my research, I was reading that Lee Marvin was actually kind of critical of the movie after it all got put together, because he it, he thought there was this it wasn't as realistic as he wanted it to be. Although he brought a lot of his own, you know, he evidently was like his own little one man, you know, technical advisor squad in making the movie. Okay. But yeah, it, it was like there, there were people a lot, and I've read this about in this period. A lot of these movies were just sort of thrown together. Uh, they weren't, if the script was weak, you know, the guys that were doing the acting, they saw the flaws. They could see where this isn't logical. This would have happened. You know, that sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, I think this is a very well done movie. I, I, I mean, I've got my historical and technical issues with it, but as a story, it's very compelling. It draws you in, packed with action, interesting characters. Uh, and I'll just say that uh, 
there are some people, some reviewers and all, that say that the characters aren't that well-developed, aren't interesting. I think in the amount of time they have to do this, they do a pretty good job of developing these people. So most of them are identifiable, unique, have their own quirks and such. Well, see, that's weird because I would have thought – I thought the characters the, – some of the main characters I thought were developed pretty well. But, yeah, I mean, you know, some of the others that you hardly ever see throughout there, yeah. You can develop the 12, you know, the Dirty Dozen guys plus Lee Marvin plus everybody else. It, it's very difficult to do that in this time frame. So, But I think some of the main ones that they portrayed, I thought they did a decent job. Jeff, what do you think? Let me tell you what I think. This is a big cast. And it's easy, I think, to get away from you if you're trying to develop every character in a big cast scenario. Um, and like you said, there's a, you know, a dozen guys. You got the major, the sergeant. You got the you know competing generals. You've got just all kinds of um, uh, characters going on throughout the film. And it's it's not a it, it's 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 about the mission and how they get to the point of being able to do the mission than about the characters. The characters are very one dimensional. However, they define those one dimensions, I think, very well. Um, really, in the introduction of all the characters, you know, in their rundown of their rap sheets, and also, you know, a- as they're coming together as as a team. Um, and that's all you really need to know. You just need to know that one's a maniac, one's a lunatic, you know, one's very dim-witted, and so on and so forth. You, you know, you don't need to drill down into every aspect of their personality and life. And I think, as you guys have said, they do a great job of bringing all that together in a short amount of time and still pulling off a movie, um, which you know we were you guys were talking about. This is one of those classics between us that you guys have already mentioned movies that when I think of the Dirty Dozen, I immediately start thinking of Kelly's Heroes, of um, of Patton, because they were all shot in a similar way, and to me that that's kind of how. Um, I relate these movies to each other. So as soon as somebody mentions Kelly Heroes, I'm following up with um, the Dirty Dozen. Um, and and like Kelly's Heroes, you know, this was another World War II kind of rah rah movie that was fiction. But it wasn't it wasn't about historical accuracy. It was about telling uh, a, a rah rah story. Mm-hmm. And we're we're not trying to have a a documentary here. We're just trying to have a fun story, and you know I didn't read as much as Ken did about uh, Ken did about the backstory and and what Lee Marvin did, and you know what he brought to the to the to the set. And I'm, I'm sure it, since he served, and there was a lot of guys in here that served during World War II, and I'm sure that they wanted to have it be as authentic as possible. So I can see how there would be some conflicting personalities and creator development issues, but. This is one of my favorites. It is one of those that when it's on TV, I'm stopping. It doesn't matter what I was in the process of watching or if I was going to looking for something to watch and I find this first or even last, this is the thing I'm stopping at. Love this show. I agree. It has a lot of that Kelly's Heroes feel to it. It also, to me, reminded me in a lot of ways of where Eagles dare that same look. See, Ken, that's another one, and this is another movie that I would like to get on the uh, on the docket because it's around this period of time when they were just cranking out these World War II, um, you know, like behind-the-scenes, covert-type movies, you know, stuff like this, Kelly's Heroes, Where Eagles Dare, 
I, again, another great movie. You know, Richard Burton, uh, Clint Eastwood. Great, great stuff. What the hell was that? Yeah, is my phone going off? I'm shutting the volume off. <laughs> I got to, I got to make a comment here. Just, uh, I got to differ slightly with Jeff in that I don't see this as a rah rah World War II movie. It's pretty dark and takes a pretty cynical look at the army and just things in general. Of course, you're seeing it through the eyes of convicted felons, but nonetheless, it's a little darker than most of the movies. And more cynical than most of the movies that were being made at this time, in my opinion. In a way, it kind of reminded me of the Wild Bunch in Attitude. Well, you know, but the thing of it is, is that if you compare it to Kelly's Heroes, I mean, Kelly's Heroes was an Arama. It was not a rah rah movie in the sense of, you know, you look at those guys, and I think I know what Jeff is saying. It's like it's just a bunch of guys going out and they're killing Nazis. Yeah. I'll say it for myself. That's the end result in all of these. In both of those movies, the end result is they're going to go and, you know, and even they kind of even one up Kelly's heroes in a sense, and they take it straight to the leadership of the Nazi party. And they go in and they just lay waste to dozens of generals and anybody that's screwing them. So is it a dissection of the U.S. military and, you know, the, the politics involved there? I don't, I, I don't go that deep into it. Right. But, these guys are on a mission, and it's on a mission during the, the World War II, and that we know that they're going to end up going and killing a bunch of Nazis, and, and so this is about the mission. Is it good old-fashioned um, 1941 rah-rah? No, but um, like Kelly's Heroes, um, in the end, they're going to get the gold, and they're going to walk away scot-free. Well, you know, arguably, these guys... And, and you find out in, in the introduction, um, the first part of the movie, you find out who these guys are. They've all been sentenced for various things. Most of them are either either scheduled to die by hanging or they're, um, they're doing hard labor for 20 to 30 years. And these are not good people. They've well, done crimes against, well, in some, some cases. Some of them. Well, most of them in some way have been convicted of a crime in, in, during war, which I'm going to guess is, is, um, is challenging, especially during World War II. I'm making this, I'm making this conjecture. Okay. I mean, there's some of the guys, uh, you know, the one that stands out is, um, uh, you know, Posey's character. That guy has no business being executed. I mean, the guy, well, we'll get into that part where, you know, he talked about, it was a bar fight. Some guy pushed him. He hit him once and killed him. Well, when you look at Clint Walker, who, by the way, when we <laughs> talk about actors, and I say this as a proud heterosexual male, this guy's a stud. I mean, that dude literally were you, were you getting to have been? He had to have had a cattle prod just tasing women off of him. Did you see the size of that guy? <laughs> oh yeah. You know what? Mark has a picture of John Wayne. You, sir, are going to have a picture of Clint Walker, aren't you? I'm going to have to find him because I would like Clint Walker, he's a very accomplished actor. He goes way back there. Yeah, I tell you what. When I was sitting there watching this movie for the first time, I said, you know, when I grow up, and I was like 30 when I saw this, I want to be just like him. And I'm 6'1", and I still have a hell of a lot of growing to do. <laughs> when you see him in this movie – you got to remember, this is 1967. People did not look like this. People were not built like this guy. This guy was a freaking tank. 
Wow. But he was the gentle giant here. Even the gentle giant, that whole scene when uh, Lee Marvin's doing that, it's like you look at Lee Marvin. I mean, Lee Marvin is a manly man. But then when you see Lee Marvin up against uh, Clint Walker, you're like, I would not go up against Clint Walker with a samurai sword. I wouldn't go with him with Mace Windu's, like, double-bladed lightsaber. <laughs> if Clint Walker, like, just growled at me, I would probably, like, piss my pants and run in the other direction. The, the dude is just so imposing. He's so big and so, wow. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about actors some more, uh, but I had to bring him out. I, I want to I throw out, can I throw out one, one thing? Just to oh, sure, finish this you thought, because you know how I am. The, the, this started with the idea of, you know, yeah, these guys are all convicted felons, you know, murderers, rapists, things of that sort. But then it's like, well, not all of them. I mean, some of them arguably shouldn't be here. And the other two that I'll say shouldn't be here, number one is Jim Brown's uh, character, Jefferson. What I picked up on that is he had a couple races just like attacking him and he fought him off and killed one or something. So he shouldn't be there. He was, you know, he's acting in self-defense. Yeah. And then also, uh, Charles Bronson's Wadislaw character. Yeah. I mean, you, you can say what you want, but he made a command decision and, you know, people died as a result, but now he's, you know, in the big house. But, Ken, these are also people that the, the, the writers and the movie get you to root for. Yeah. To, sur- to survive. I mean, there, th- this is all, this is part of the design of the movie is no, they shouldn't be there. These, these guys are, these guys don't deserve this fate. So you want them to, to yes. survive. Then you have people like Telly Savalas' character, you know, worm, worm. It's like, rubbing. why didn't they put him down last year? <laughs> why, yeah. Why hasn't Lee Marvin put his boot into his head yet? Um, yeah, he should, it, he should have been the guy, like, you know, like taped to the, uh, to the wall with the ski mask on his face or something. He yes. Was, but you know what? Let's give it to Tilly Savalas, who played a very convincing psychopathic guy. Oh, my God. I mean, have, you've never seen him in a role like that, right? No, he is just out evil. And it only gets a small amount of screen time. I mean, he doesn't have a, a huge commanding amount. But what he does, I mean, he really embodies that. In the end, you're wanting this guy to die, and especially at the end when he yes. does what he does. Yeah, but you know, all along you've never been sympathetic towards him. But for Bronson and Jim Brown um, and Posey, I mean, those guys you, you are sympathetic for, sympathetic too, and they get actors that you that you want to be able to portray those roles. Now, going to Jim Brown, sadly, it was very apropos for the time for. If a black guy is going to kill a white guy, he's going to get the sentence. And that was what was going on during that time period. Sadly, it was very reflective of what was going on during the 1940s, regardless of the justification. Right. It's what, it's what he would have got, regardless of why he did it. But no, he shouldn't. But as you said, Ken, he shouldn't have been. But that he's also one of those sympathetic characters that you were pulling for in the end. Yeah, and, and the whole mission is set up so that you can keep pulling for these guys all along because the whole deal is if you guys survive this, you know, suicide mission, you get a pardon. So we're all going like, you know, all they got to do is get out of this. And, you know, one by one, they're dropping off. You, you know, you have your favorites are still rooting for them as the thing goes on. And sometimes your hopes get dashed. But that's the great thing about this movie is you truly are rooting for someone. The first time you see this, you re- and of course we've, we've ruined it for several people so far. Um, 
you you are there are certain people you are rooting for, and 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 it's almost like I don't want to say a game, but I mean as the story plays out, you're like, okay, my horse has made it a little bit further. It could make it to the finish line, and you know, and there's one true tragedy. I don't want to ruin it, but there is one true tragedy in the whole thing. A guy that you know doesn't deserve it at all. But I don't want, I don't want to give that away. Well, you know, one of the things that this movie does, it's the classic jailhouse prison trope. You sympathize with the with the prisoners mm-hmm. because there's always the prisoners that, well, why is this poor guy here? You know, they're they they you know they seem so innocent, and then they throw in a couple guys like, well, you got Telesavals who plays Maggot, you've got um, uh, John Cassavetes who plays Victor Franco, who is just who is just annoying, but you grow to like him, but you know he's just no good. There's a couple of others, but everybody else is just, oh, well, I don't know why I'm here and all this, but you realize it's like, well, well you, know, you raped three people, and you, you murdered somebody. And it's like, but yeah, you, you're the happy-go-lucky guy until you get pissed off and you go on a rampage. It's that classic you, jailhouse trope thing. Did right? you know that John Castavetta's was actually nominated for an Academy Award for his role in this. Rightfully so. For a Best Supporting Actor. I thought he did a very good job. But then again, there's several people in this that did a good job. Well, and, and, and I know Steve wants to kind of go into that at some point, so we'll, I guess we'll, we'll save that conversation for that time. Well, you know what? Let's just jump in the actors. Let's talk about Lee Marvin. As far as I'm concerned... Lee Marvin is – he, he's right up there. I mean, he's the Clint Eastwood. He is one of the manliest men of that era. Uh, you know, the guy served in the, in, in the Second World War. He is a Marine. Just a great, great actor. Tons of great movies. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought his performance in this – I've seen him in other stuff. I mean, Lee Marvin was one of those guys that when you see Lee Marvin in the movie, you get Lee Marvin. This one, you saw a little bit of a different Lee Marvin. And I'll tell you what, I, I, there is one quote, there is one of the, the sound clips I'm going to play later on, guys, that I may have to mute my mic because every single time I hear it, I, I kind of lose control a little bit because I laugh so hard. And I think it's one of those scenes where it's during the basic training when they're doing the, well, we'll get to it. But he is just such a good actor. In this movie, I really enjoyed him in this. And there's another movie that is a personal favorite of mine. And I would like to do it at some uh, sometime, guys. Is the Big Red One? I think it's a good movie I, for the time it was made. Yes, I know it's got its it's got its technical shortcomings, whatever. But I think the movie and the story and everything it tells, I think, is very well done. Yeah, I know the production value is not nearly what it should be, but I think it's a good movie. It's one of my personal favorites. Let's, let's get it on the list. I mean, that's. I mean, but it, I think that was that. That was before the Dirty Dozen, wasn't it? No, this, no. Big Red One was in the eighties. Yeah, this is like eighty two, eighty. I think maybe like nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty two, maybe right around there. Uh, yeah. Hell, uh, Luke Skywalker's in it, and the dude from uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Um, shit, I can't remember one of the Carradine dudes. Uh, <laughs> David, uh, the the guy that didn't hurt himself. But that wasn't Booger. Booger wasn't a Carradine. What the hell is the matter with you? Wow. <laughs> okay, but uh, some of the other. I don't think I've ever seen that movie. I'll have to. I'm have to get it so I can watch it. Which one? Movie? Big red one. The big red one. I don't think I've ever seen, seen it. The big red. I one? Never. Go see that movie. It is so good. It's such a good movie. It's Sam. Uh, not Sam Peckinpah. Jesus Christ! What the hell is his name? Oh God! 
it's off the uh, tip of my tongue. I can't remember. Never mind. Um, um, hey, can I, can I, since we're off topic, let me, can I just throw in two other movies that sure. have a relationship here? One, a recent movie vaguely related to this. I was at work and one of my coworkers, he's a, you know, he's about 30. He's big. He's a film buff in his own way. And about a year ago, he was just raving about Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> yeah. I got to see. And how great it was. He was describing it. I'm going like, it sounds like the Dirty Dozen. And I, you know, I don't think it really hold a Dirty Dozen's jockstrap or anything. And I, I finally, I went out and saw it. And I got to say, you know, Inglorious Bastards has some relationship to this, but it is more cartoonish. Yes. Uh, not that this is a, not that the Dirty Dozen is a highly detailed, highly researched bit of uh, history, but the Inglorious Bastards is a cartoon. Uh, another movie that same era, very well done, very similar, is uh, Play Dirty, which is a Michael Caine movie set in North Africa. Similar plot in that he you know, gets jailbirds and you know other scum to go out on a suicide mission across the desert. Different take, both good movies in their own way, similar in overall plot i would say when you mention inglorious bastards i've never seen it because it was kind of one of those it was a tarantino movie and i looked at the plot and i'm like this is almost alternate history type stuff and it is it, it just didn't appeal to me but it was funny you mentioned that because uh about uh, about a week or two ago my daughter and a boyfriend they ran it off of um they ran it off of itunes to watch it uh, it was like the final scene. They're in the theater and they're doing the whole machine gunning and all this stuff. I'm like, okay, I see where this came from. I'm, and, and this is before we even talked about doing this movie. I'm like, oh, this is from the Dirty Dozen. This is where he got his idea was from this movie. The concept, I should say. I would not be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised either. So anyway, uh, some of the other actors in this uh, great and fantastic film, we got Ernest Borgnine. He played General Warden. You know, did a pretty good job. Charles Bronson played Joseph Vadislaw, the the good Polish or slash Lithuanian that he was in this uh, in this movie. And he is Bronson is of Polish extraction. He is of Polish extraction. Yes, he is. Um, I have a connection to that character. You do. I do. It, actually, he, he makes a comment in the movie that he is from his uh, his father is from uh, Silesia, mm-hmm. which is in which is actually in Germany. Still to this day, um, it is um, in near the Polish border, and from my research, um, not really inhabited by many Germans. It's a lot of immigrants have come in there more recently. However, all that to say, my family, my German family, um, came from, immigrated to America from Silesia. Specifically, a town called Skedlau in Lower Silesia. And uh, so, for, for all I know... His character, I mean, could be related. Who knows? Wow. My, my ancestors are too drunk to remember where the Germany they came from. My grandfather did an extensive genealogy of my entire family, and I, th- I don't know if I ever shared this with you guys. Um, he found out that actually I have uh, – he was able to trace back all kinds of information back to um, my family in Germany, and that's where he found out that one of my ancestors fought with the Prussians um, during the Napoleonic War. Interesting. Back to cast. 
All right. Some of the other people that are in this movie. Well, of course, you've got the great Jim Brown. Yes. One of the greatest running backs of all time. And uh, I think what this might have been the only movie he was in. Oh, no. Jim Brown made a ton of movies. Oh, did he? I, I, oh, yeah. Jim Brown was like doing movies from like the 60s up until like a couple years ago. Oh, my God. That's right. He did. Uh, what the hell was that damn movie? Uh, oh, shit. It was. No, I'm trying to remember. The only one I can remember is, um, oh, God, Mars Attacks. That's it, Mars Attacks. Oh, gosh. A great classic. He was in that. Uh, I mean, I liked him, and I'm going to get you, sucker. Oh, shit, that's right. He was in Running Man. He was the, oh. High Station Zebra. <laughs> he, I mean, Jim Brown, the thing about Jim Brown was he made such a record for himself in football, and then he quit to go into acting and he quit when he was like 28 or 29 and he's still statistically one of the greatest football players out there. And that's the amazing thing. Uh, let's see. We've got, uh, got John. Um, I can never pronounce his name. <laughs> can, John Cassavetes. Is that it? Cassavetes. Yes. All right. Cassavetes. Yes. He's a big actor and director. Yeah. yeah he's I, been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He was Franco, and you know Franco's character was. We're talking about the guys that like were basically good guys who found themselves in a bad situation. Franco, he was a bad guy. He was a mobster. Nothing yeah. good about him. Well, I'm not saying that all mobsters are bad. I'm just saying that he yeah. was not a good guy. No, we had George Kennedy. Not oh, a lot of George Kennedy, but George Kennedy is always a great guy to have in a movie. Love George. I loved his character in this movie. Okay, that scene where they tossed him out of the truck. <laughs> no, they didn't toss him out of the truck. They ran into a bunch of trees and knocked him off the truck. How the hell did he not like end up either dead or like paralyzed for life? Oh, that was. Uh, we'll get, we'll and he gets scene. up and he's like laughing his ass off. I'd have been like, I would have been pulling out my forty-five and just emptying the clip in the back of that truck. I'm like, you mother. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my god! When I saw the, when you look at the way that stuntman landed, it's like how he's, he's cramping their style, man. They're on a mission. Oh my god, that was painful to watch. Every time I watched that scene, I just wanted to well, just like cringe. And did you get did you, <laughs> the look on Franco's face when he did it? <laughs> I mean, the pure joy. He knew what he was going to do. Yeah. And just, he, he just got this big shitty grin about it. He was one of those guys that I just didn't like him because he, I don't know, there there was something about that. Per, and it's not. Casavetes? Yeah. It's Franco, not, Franco was an unlikable guy. He was I mean, very unlikable. It's not knocking the actor because the actor played it the way you're supposed to. You cannot stand this guy i mean from beginning to end you just can't stand him that is just like with lee marvin and, and a lot of the character actors in this movie they played such convincing roles of one-dimensional people and the actor got you to dislike him so much he was so antagonistic throughout the entire show when he, I don't know about you guys, but whenever he was on the screen and he was, you know, doing what he does, I would just kind of find myself getting irritated. And you know, when it, when, it, when an actor can pull you in to do that, I mean, what an outstanding job they must be doing. All right, uh, of other actors, uh, the guy that played Sergeant Boren, 
was Richard Jekyll. Jekyll. Thank you. Uh, like that guy. He's pretty cool. Yeah. He was kind of, a, again, it's kind of one dimensional, but he was very good at it. I mean, kind of a, in some ways, kind of a smart aleck. You know, a little bit, but he was more of a smart aleck to the, uh, the troops than he was to, uh, you know, to anybody else in the show. Or I'm sorry, anybody, any of the officers. Well, yeah, I mean, he, but he, but he had to be. I mean, he had to fill that role because, you know, he was responding to prisoners because the major couldn't. You know, the major had to be above all that. But he, as a sergeant, could respond as really, I think he was responding how probably a lot of us in the audience wanted to respond. He was kind of our voice. Right. That's actually an interesting way to put it. Yes. He's not, he's not wrapped up. He, uh, to him, these guys are all a bunch of jailbirds. They probably all deserve to die. And you got to watch, you, you know, got to watch them like hawks. Yeah, but he's just following orders. He is here, and and he has a job to do. And the criminals know that they're not coming back from this. Well, at least you can assume most of them know or assume that they're not coming back. And and so they're they're not as respectful as well your your, your average enlisted person. So um, Sergeant Boren is is just he's he he is there responding as as we would want to respond. And and I and I really I really appreciated how they. Um, the, the different layers that they placed into this movie, um, because, you know, you really have Lee Marvin's character. I, I, he, he is mission focused. And then you've got, um, you know, his superiors, one who is in support of it. And then one general who is, who is not in support of whatever, um, Major Reisman is doing. Um, and, and then, you know, you have, um, uh, Richard Jekyll's character, who is, who's the, he's kind of the middle management of all of it between, um, the major and then everybody that, uh, all, all the, all the criminals. And, and so, you know, you have this hierarchy and it's all playing against each other to a point, or playing with each other, but at the same time kind of against each other. And you kind of see these guys come together as a cohesive group throughout the movie, but you have to have all of that nonsense going on in the beginning. And you feel them kind of coming together as a team slowly but surely. And then, of course, it all falls apart at the end, which is beautiful. You know, Lee Marvin kind of portrayed that kind of a natural leader. Everybody hates him, but he can actually bring people together because they kind of showed how he, you know, took a group of convicted criminals, threw them all together, and through a lot of hard training and all the brutal stuff that he put them through, that one scene, remember when, uh, oh, gosh, what the hell is his name? Um, Colonel, what the hell? Um, ba, 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 um, well, the Colonel was a general, wasn't it? No, Breed. Yeah, oh, Breed. Yeah. Colonel, yeah, I'm sorry, Colonel Breed. Colonel Breed. When Colonel Robert Breed comes Ryan. in there, yeah, he Another great him. actor. Oh, yeah. he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Robert Ryan is awesome in this movie. You know, when Robert Ryan comes in there and he's gets them all standing up there, and he's trying to find out who the hell are you guys? What are you doing? At that point, even Franco, who was the first person that was trying to break out of the whole thing, was like, "Nobody tell him who we are." I mean, he was he was the most devout of the group, and that was a key moment in the movie, Steve. I mean, that's exactly yeah. right. It was at that's that when that the whole team came together. Yes, and that's when you, the audience, knew how far this group had come. It was at that moment there, and you—that's a great point. 
Yeah. And I just, I, I really like that because you've got these guys, because all these guys are all out for themselves. But mm-hmm. at that point, they became a team. Mm-hmm. Because remember at that point when, you know, <laughs> when, uh, I don't know who gave the order, but he just said, go get them. And everybody just charged out and they wouldn't grab guys with guns. And it was just really cool how everybody just formed up and did their thing and they did it as a team because right before that, I mean, none of these guys gave a shit. They didn't care about each other. You know, everybody was off for themselves. Right. It, you know, it's that old, well, you know, you, you can't mess with him, but I can because he's on my team. Exactly. I may hate this guy, but he's on my team. Right. Yeah. I think it's that, that, and, and it really showed that, but it showed how Lee Marvin built a team that probably should have never been created to begin with. Because nobody believed it, it could have happened. Uh, gosh, how many, what are the other, well, guy, you got Telly Savalas, we talked about him. Oh, oh, you know who he didn't mention was Donald Sutherland. Yes. <laughs> and how can we not? Yeah. Well, this is one of his earliest movies and probably his first really big screen role, I'm guessing. Yeah. He played Vernon Pinkley. What a great name. I, you know, when, when I, when I, when I see him and think of him, I think of Mark. And I don't know why. <laughs> I just think of this, you know, dim-witted, <laughs> half-there dumbass. And when he's doing that review and, you know, looking out from underneath his helmet, you know, I just see Mark going down that line there and <laughs> giving one of his smart-ass remarks. <laughs> yeah, Pinkley is not the brightest character in this. Well, and that's why we have Mark around, right? I mean, it, it really kind of picks us up a little bit. <laughs> I am fully taking this advantage now that he's not here to do what he does to me every time he gets the opportunity. Driving a bus over me. But, you know, I mean, but, you know, another reason I think I, I liken this show to, um, Kelly's Heroes is to a point, I think, Sutherland plays similar characters. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you. But Oddball, Oddball is still different. Oddball is a different character. But, you know, he probably cut his chops on, um, on Vernon, but he really refined it and, and developed it with Oddball. Um, but, but God, he does such a great job, you know, and, and, and it's really the, only time I think Donald Sutherland has really played that type of character. Usually he's playing some sort of suave, sophisticated type of guy. Or very serious type of guy. It's a very serious type yeah. of guy. It, there's very few movies that, well, at least that I remember. It's like this, Kelly's Heroes, but I, there might have been a time that we, we just don't remember from growing up. But, you know, now when you see Donald Sutherland, it's like he's this very serious or, um, you know, mature type of character. But... In these movies, this Kelly's Heroes, I mean, the guy was probably in his, you know, mid-late 20s, maybe early 30s or so. I don't know. He was in his 20s, I bet, when he made this. Well, let's see. He's a young guy. He was born in 1935. Yeah, so 67, so... He was 30. Yeah. He would have been like 29 when they started. Yeah. So he uh, he was a pup, a mere pup. And the guy is still working. I mean, when you look at his IMDb filmography, the guy has got a shit ton of stuff that he's doing. And actually, you know what? There is a movie. I'm just going to throw it out there if I can ever find it. It's going way back a ways. 
he was in a movie where he played a Catholic uh, priest or bishop, and I can't remember what the hell it is, and it's driving me nuts because it was a great movie from when I was a kid growing up as in a Catholic school of all places. And I really had a... Uh... Oh, shit, what the hell is the name of that damn movie? It's killing me. I'm going to... Heaven help us. Heaven help us. 1985, he played Brother Thaddeus. Awesome movie. Folks... Anybody who ever went to a Catholic school, watch this movie. If you've never seen it, there, that, I'm done. All right, moving on. What are we talking about? All right, mo- other actors. Uh, let's see. We've already talked about pretty much everybody that was uh, in this. I've already had my uh, uh, my uh, my my bromance with Clint Walker. Uh, is there anybody else? No. Hey, you know what? I know that you've you've mentioned before that you have a special dispensations list. Um, is Clint Walker on that list for you? You know what, folks? We're going to move on to our some of our favorite scenes of this. <laughs> How I have missed being here. <laughs> I know. I'm showing you nothing but respect, Steve. I know you do, Ken, because you respect me, and Jeff holds me in utter contempt. But that's all right. You know what? Utter contempt. Because utter. Utter. Is it utter or utter? Utter. Utters are what hangs below I'm just cows. For me, I mean, I understand that. I mean, I might hang, I might hold them in utter contempt and cow contempt. So anyway, uh, some of our favorite <laughs> scenes, guys. What are? I crack myself up. Well, continue on, my liege. Son of a bitch, must pay. Must pay. Uh, Jeff, you have failed me for the last time. I totally deliver every time on this lunacy. All right, uh, guys, let's talk about some of our favorite scenes real quick. Uh, Jeff, favorite scene? My absolute favorite scene in this whole thing is where they're going through the war games or whatever it is that they're going through, the red team, blue team. Yep. Um, because, you know, the Colonel Breed has, um, has basically challenged them. And uh, Lee Marvin has said, you know, look, we, we, you know, you know, we got this upcoming thing here. We will, we will, we will take your command center. And I absolutely love that part of the movie. It is, I, I knew this question was coming up tonight and I can say every time I, I could just almost watch that. I could just put the movie in at times, just watch that scene and just turn it off at times because it is so well done how the, that group comes together as a team to take over the command center. And what, what is great about the scene is Ernest Borgnine, who plays General Warden. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he sees what's developing yeah. and he is, he is putting on his best poker face <laughs> because he's pulling for, it. he's pulling for this group and he is, he, he wants to see this go off, but he, he at some point recognizes what's going on. And, you know, you know, and you're, you, the viewer, are wondering, okay, are they going to get caught? Are they going to pull this off? Because I'll tell you what, when those live, when it, when it appears those live rounds are going off as they're coming down that that hill slope, um, I, I've always wondered, are those real rounds? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, my I, I was having a little pucker factor. I think the first <laughs> couple times I saw this movie, <laughs> I was just like, holy shit, are they really firing live rounds at these guys? Yeah. Um. But it's also that scene where you know you've got um, where where they, where they take um, Jane, uh, George Kennedy's character who's who's riding along on the on the side of the ambulance with them, and they run him off into the trees. I mean, just it, it's kind of a montage in a sense what the group is doing, 
and you know you were clearly pulling for these guys to pull this off and i just absolutely love how this team comes together to be able to take over this uh, this command station and and colonel breed has no clue once it happens it is such a beautiful scene especially yeah. his the surprise reaction that robert ryan has um it it's i just have to stop there it is my favorite scene in the whole movie love it ken well jeff stole my favorite scene well no i didn't steal it we just had the same scene. So if I have to fall on a, a backup scene, I'm going to say it's the the initial parts of the raid where they are getting in position, they're infiltrating, and the tension is building. And you know, you know at any minute, things could just go awry. And then, yeah, they do go awry. But mm-hmm. uh, I thought that was very well done, very tight fit. And then, you know, once all, all hell breaks loose, well, there's a lot of good little snippets in the, you know, the, the action parts of this movie. But, uh, I will say that they do a good job in the end of ratcheting up that tension until it's just about to pop. And then boom, you've got carnage and explosions and everything else to, you know, wind it down. And Ken, if I can just throw in here, one of my favorite parts about that scene there. Is the, is what kind of kicks it all off is they decide that Marvin and, uh, Bronson are going to go in, in, into the mansion. And Bronson's been brought along because he can speak German. And that's been the whole thing. It's, it's like, okay, well, who can speak German? Well, I can't. Okay. Well, you're going to go in with me. And they get in there and he's asked to sign the guest book. And it's at that moment there, they, they put it out there that this is not going to go according to plan. And I absolutely love the scene where Bronson's like, I didn't know I was going to have to write German. You never basically said anything about that. Um, it's, it's, it is a great little 30 second scene. Love it. Yeah. They don't, it's not like a lot of these kind of movies where everything's moving like clockwork. It's like, you know, there's all these little things. I mean, they're constantly. <laughs> People are, you know, staggering up to leave Marvin and talking to him in German, and he's like <laughs> waving his eyebrows and you know, shrugging his shoulders, <laughs> doing everything he can not to open his mouth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the movie does a great job of portraying him. He's he's very good and effective at his job, but you know, he's a fish out of water. Yeah. In, in in this scenario, and they, you know, Steve, I don't know when you want to bring it up about Steve Martin's, um, not Steve Martin, good lord, all right, I've had too many Imperial Stouts. He's tonight. a wild and crazy <laughs> guy. <laughs> uh, they're going for the cans. <laughs> <laughs> um, Folks, if you haven't figured it out, we've completely lost control of the show, and you know whose fault it is. Ta-da! <laughs> because he's not here to keep the 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 the, the train on the track, okay. and it's his fault. Even our listeners on Facebook have pointed out these last several weeks that that penny that I've had it needs to be mailed down to Kentucky uh, because that man can derail it like nobody else. I don't know if if I live through him or what, but that son of a bitch can derail a podcast like nobody's business. Thank God we got Ken. That's all I can say. Thank God we got Ken. But anyway, Lee Marvin, you you had 
pre-show, I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. I'm tired of waiting for you. You brought up that after watching this, and you hadn't seen it for quite some time, you wondered how Lee Marvin did not get an Academy nomination for his role in this movie. That's, that's, that's the cue for you to go ahead and talk about that. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. I really do kind of wonder because he was incredible in this movie. Just his persona, the way he carried himself. I mean, just some of the inflection, uh, inflections of his voice were just astounding in this movie. And a lot of it is, it was the way he talked and just his expressions is really what carried it. And of all the movies I've seen him in, I may have seen him in Westerns and World War II movies and other stuff, but this is the one movie that he just had this totally different persona that I've never seen in other movies. And I'm really kind of surprised that there wasn't anything out there. You know, not a nomination, nothing. Steve, I'm going to, th- I'm going to throw this out to you on why you like his portrayal. And by the way, I think it is outstanding. And I'd like to hear what Ken thinks. There's a scene that I think can, that really defines it for me and what you're trying to say. It is this, it is that, it is that great scene where he is in front of Colonel Breed and Colonel Breed thinks that there's a general coming to review his troops. Yes. And the thing that I loved and, and it really kind of at that moment there brought it kind of home for me and why I like Lee Marvin's character in this movie is Lee Marvin is he's pulling all of this out of his ass at any given moment. And that scene there, you see him just winging it. And Lee Marvin does a phenomenal job of portraying somebody winging everything as he's going along because there's, there's, there is no training manual for what, what, what he's doing in, in with this group of guys. He is really making it up as he goes along. And when he is faced with Colonel Breed, who wants nothing more than to shut down his operation, um, and Lee Marvin is very much a, a, a man who is trying to, um, who is goal oriented and trying to get this to go off without a hitch. In that scene where he basically pulls out Donald Sutherland's character to, uh, to play the general. And if there's one guy in probably in the back of that truck that you don't want to have be the, um, well, maybe, um, maybe Franco's character. But one guy that you don't want pulled out of the back of that truck to do it, it's probably Donald Sutherland's character. But it's that scene there where he is clearly just kind of winging it as he goes along. He has no idea what to do. He has no, he, but he is quick with a comeback. He's quick with a line. He, he just, he's able to find the right thing to say, but he does it in such a way that you realize this guy is rolling the dice. He has no idea if what he says is going to work or not, but he, this is the best thing he's got. And he does that throughout the entire movie. And I think that's, is, it's a testament to the writing for that character, not just the writing, but Lee Marvin pulling that off on the screen. Well, I'm going to throw out, you know, to answer your question, I'm, I'm, this isn't the, the 100% answer, but when it comes down to, well, why didn't he win, uh, you know, some sort of an award for this? He obviously, he did a very good job. But he won the Academy Award like two years before this for Cat Baloo, which okay. if you haven't seen Cat Baloo, it's a, I mean, his role in that movie is a hoot. It's a, com- it's a comedy role. But yeah, he's got, he's a broad, has a broad skill as an actor. He can do a lot of stuff. But in this, 
you see him when he's in charge. You see him when he's out of charge. You see him when he's winging it. You see him when he's scared. My favorite scene, though, Jeff, you nailed it. It was the um, it was the uh, the the war game. Yeah. To be honest with you, the war game to me, that entire part, that was the movie. I, I almost felt that the whole raid was kind of a. I, I don't know. It just seemed like that was just like, all right, well, you know, to me, the war game was like the height of the movie. It was like, all right, we could have ended it there. You know what I'm saying? I know. Exactly I know what, what you're saying, saying, but they can't. I, I know they can't, but it just seemed like that got built up so well. I mean, it, because it was one of those things where if they didn't do this, they failed. If they didn't win this, it was over. And it was almost like that was, they almost built that up to the point where, once that was done, it's like, all right, well, now they can go on to the mission to die. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just, and just, they did. Yeah, and, well, yeah, they did. So, all right, uh, all right, we're done with scenes. Let's move on to our soundtrack. Guys, was there really even a soundtrack here that we want to talk about? I mean, it's like the classic 60s, you know, World War II kind of stuff. Ken, would you say it's marching? I mean, it's just marching music. It's, it's martial music. Yeah, martial music. I mean, nothing. Very, I mean, it's effective. It sets the theme. It sets the mood. But you know, nothing memorable. No. Yeah, yeah, nothing memorable. You know, so you're gonna put it on your iPod. But I mean, basically, folks, what you heard in the preview, that's what you're gonna hear throughout the movie. So, but it's very appropriate. I mean, it's appropriate oh. for what we're. I mean, for the for the movie and the time period. And, I mean, it's it's not. It's not bad. It doesn't detract, but it's what you would expect it to be, and it delivers on that, and it, and it fits just fine. Let's move on to trivia. Let's see. Number one. All right. Uh, production on the film ran so long that Jim Brown was in danger of missing training season. I'm sorry. In danger of missing training camp uh, for the upcoming 1967-68 football season. Have another beer. That's when I was born. As training camp and NFL season approached, the NFL threatened to fine and suspend him if he did not leave filming and report to camp immediately. Not one to take threats, Brown simply held a press conference to announce his retirement from football. At the <laughs> his retirement, Brown was considered one of the great of the best in the game and today is considered one of the NFL greats. And he is. Jim Brown is still one of the greatest running backs of all time. So there you go. Hey, can I uh, give you a uh, little bit of further trivia on that point? Absolutely. Out of Wikipedia, Art Modell said in Jim Brown All-American, a documentary, that he made a huge mistake in forcing Jim Brown to choose between football and Hollywood, and if he had to do it over, he would never have made such a demand. Modell fined Jim Brown the equivalent of over $100 per day, a fine which Brown said that today wouldn't even buy donuts for the team, <laughs> which is true. He just annoyed Brown by that. There you go. Good for you, Brown. Uh, all right. The scene where one of the dozen pretend, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. The scene where one of the dozen pretends to be general inspecting Robert Ryan's troops was initially written for Clint uh, Walker's character. However, Walker was uncomfortable with the scene, so Robert Aldrich decided to use Donald Sutherland instead. The scene was directly responsible for Sutherland being cast in MASH, which was made him an international star. What the hell was Sutherland MASH? 
Oh my God, he was. Oh, he was one of the doctors. He was one of the main doctors. Uh, which one was it, Ken? I think he was Hawkeye. Was he Hawkeye? He might have been Hawkeye. Was it Hawkeye? I think he was Hawkeye. Oh That's my God. Book. Was he? I forgot. Uh, hang on. Let me let me look. I am horrible because you know what? I've never sure. seen the original MASH. You have never seen the original MASH? No. Oh, my God. We have got to do that. For oh. this show, we have got to do the original MASH. Yeah, he was, he he was, was Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye in MASH. 1970. Oh, my. Steve, I think you will like it. I think you'll like it a lot. I've never seen it. I saw it, the series. I mean, I know the series by heart. Okay, did you like the series? Oh, I love the series. Then you will love the movie. Okay. You will absolutely the love the movie. The oh, my God. The movie's the, better than the series. Um, the movie is outstanding. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But you know why? Because it is, it's grittier, and it is in your face. You know, MASH, the series, at times it was in your face more with the melodramatic, but this movie... It is in your face with the humor. I think you will love this movie. I take that back. I think you'll really like this movie. I love this. I love it. I, I've always wanted, I, I didn't think you would like it. I, or I, I would have, I guess I assumed you didn't like the movie. Never, I, I never seen it. I mean, I, I like the series when I watch as a kid, but man. Never. Robert Duvall plays Robert or Frank Burns in it. And he, he is <laughs> so out of character. Just, it is not Robert Duvall. However, he does such a great job of not playing Robert Duvall. Tom Skerritt, Elliot Gould, I mean, Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gould together is amazing. And Sally Kellerman is hot lips. Is, it, it is, <laughs> it is great. And Roger Bowen as Henry Blake is, at, at times, he, he, he steals the show, I think. Okay, we'll have to put it on the list. Because honestly, folks, I have never seen this. I know that's probably heresy to most, but I don't know what kind of... Ken, Ken, did you like it? Yes. Steve is just such a a, a, a naif, a, a, an innocent wandering the woods when it comes to this. Pretty innocent and inexperienced. <laughs> oh, my God. And Radar, who's played by Gary Berghoff, is the guy, same guy that plays Radar in the TV series. Oh, so it's the same guy? It's the same guy. Oh, that's awesome. Exactly he's the, the same. He's one of the few. That made the jump from the movie to, you know what, Steve? We we have got to do this. We have got to do this soon. Uh, I've been making movie. a list, guys. I'll, when, we're, when we're done tonight, I will recite some stuff that's on the list. Okay, all right. It, it cost three and a half million dollars to make Mash, and the movie made over eighty-one million dollars. Well, there you go. Wow. Anyway, right. uh, let's see. Donald's, <laughs> Donald. I mean, can you say Donald Sutherland twice? Donald Sutherland twice. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Was cast. He was a late casting decision, replaced an actor who dropped out because he thought the role was beneath him. Who was it? I, they, they don't say. Oh, my God. I got to find this out now. Right. Uh, let's see. Lee Marvin, Telly Savalas, Charles Bronson, Ernest Borgnine, Clint Walker, Robert Ryan, and George Kennedy all served during the Second World War. And that's... The folks, they're the cast. I mean, that's a good chunk of the cast right there. Uh, yeah, there was a significant portion that that served in the military. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, here, guys, this one stands out for me. And take note: John Wayne was first offered the part of Major John Reisman, but he declined and went on to star in, and direct in another war film, The Green, the Green Berets. Berets. 
Yeah, the part was then offered to Lee Marvin, who took it. Wayne's refusal was due to his disapproval of the original script, where Reisman has a brief affair with a married woman whose husband is fighting overseas. Uh, good call, John. I'm glad they cut it. Well, I'm glad they cut it, but you know what? Seriously, dude, Green Berets, wow. I like the Green Berets. There are a lot of Green Beret fans out there. All right, The Dirty Dozen by author E.M. Nathanson may have gotten the idea for the title, if not the plot, of his best-selling novel from a real-life group of World War II 100 Air... Um, sorry. World War II 101st Airborne Division paratroopers nicknamed the Filthy 13. These men, demolitionists, in headquarters company of the 506th Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st, supposedly earned their nickname by not bathing or shaving for a long period of time during training prior to the Normandy invasion. Members of the Filthy 13 can be seen in vintage film photos and still photos of their faces painted with Indian war paint before boarding their planes for D-Day. I just want to know how long before, like, Normandy did they not bathe or shave? Because, wow. (sighs) All right, Lee Marvin referred to this movie as crap and just as a dummy... (laughs) Wow. And just as a dummy money maker, although he enjoyed the film, the movie had nothing to do with the war he stressed, and he was very pleased that he got to do the big red one, which he said mirrored his own wartime experiences. So there you go, folks. Yeah, it, I think I'll just plug it in. To my knowledge, America in World War II did not take prisoners and send them off on suicide missions. No. This is, this now, is on the fiction. other hand, the Germans and the Soviets did a yeah. lot, but not the Americans. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I got a story here. The submachine guns used by the Dirty Dozen are the M3 45 ACP caliber submachine guns known as the Grease Gun. It came into use in late war replacing the Thompson. Uh, which is known as a Tommy gun. It was not general issue weapon to infantrymen. Normally it was carried by uh, tank crews, uh, but many, quote-unquote, found their way to frontline troops. Uh, this earlier model weapon had a charging lever on the side. Later models uh, were charged by simply pulling back the bolt, inserting your finger into the recess bolt, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, folks, if you ever seen this gun, this thing looks like a piece of shit. All right. I'm going to tell you how I got in trouble as a kid one day. <laughs> By my father. When I was sitting in class at school. No. It was actually from watching the movie Hell is for Heroes. Because it was the first time I ever saw a grease gun. And, and and that is another one that's on the list, folks. Hell is for Heroes, Steve McQueen. Because what was the gun that Steve McQueen had? Was the uh, the M3 grease gun. And I thought, that is like the coolest looking thing in the world. And there was one day... And if you ever saw my grandfather's garage and the workbench that he had, you could make anything there. Well, guess what I built one day? A grease gun. Yeah. A wooden toy grease gun. Actually, it was a wood. Oh, my God. No. A steel? <laughs> Steve's out there with a blowtorch. and No, I actually, no, seriously. Grinder. And- seriously, write this one down. Actually, oh don't. Because the NSA is going to go, oh, my God, the guy's building a machine gun. It wasn't working out. It was a replica because I thought that looked really cool. Well, take a caulking gun. Okay. And a steel tube. And you can pretty much make this gun. 
And yeah. I sat down, I, I sat at my grandfather's workbench. I was probably nine or 10 years old. And by the time I walked out of there, it, it took me a couple of days to do it, but between some of the steel and everything like that, I had little, and it was, I mean, it obviously didn't fire. It was just a replica. I mean, it was just something to play guns with. It wasn't even a replica. It was, it just <laughs> it was, was a, this gun. But I'll tell you what. It was a mock up. It was a mock, what, let's put it, it was a good enough mock up that my grandfather walked downstairs and shit his pants. <laughs> Are you telling the truth? No, this is, this is oh, the honest of God. I mean, he came down and he saw me standing there because I did this. I wish I still had this thing today because it looked real. Because even I even had the clip I could actually where I could change clips. Where you just pull, you know, I just had these like little wooden sticks. Well, man, if you were playing army with the guys in the neighborhood, you would just dominate. I would, I, I did dominate because I had clips where I would just like, you know, I, for like 30 seconds and I would just take out another stick of wood and put it in there. And for people that don't know what a grease gun is, if you go on the internet and search grease gun and look at images, you will see why an actual grease gun, which is used to grease the, uh, the little things and the, it has to do with the, I don't know, the lubricate your car, lubricate your car on the, uh, on the axles and things. And, and then you look at that and then you look at a grease gun, you're like, I understand the similarities now because. And you can understand why I could take a caulking gun and turn this thing into a. And you can. You can see, yeah, why a caulking gun with a tube on it looks like a grease gun. I got to say, you may have been thought you were tough, but my friend Jimmy across the street had a tripod mounted replica 50 caliber Browning machine gun. (laughs) So when we were playing Army, man, we, we brought the heavy firepower. You had the heavy weapon squad. Right. I mean, I thought I was the, I was, I thought I was the shit back then. Wow. But anyway, that it is. It's like the grease gun. Look at it. It's like I, I had a caulking gun. I created it and I was good to go. So there you go. That's nowadays that would probably get you psychological counseling. Oh my God. I, I would be probably sitting in a, uh, a padded cell, which I, Oh should. no, no. His, his, you know, CPS would be called on the parents. I mean, that's. <laughs> That's no shit, too. Oh my god! Yeah, you know when you think about it, how are we not like in like therapy right now? Or maybe we should be. Who knows? I we apologize for the tangent. So we're going to move on to brother. What you drinking, Mister Muncie? What do you have, sir? Let me tell you what I've got tonight. I am drinking from the brewing company in Bloomington, Indiana home of the Indiana Hoosiers, a beer that is appropriately named from the Cutters Brewing Company, Empire Imperial Stout. For any of you that uh, don't know, um, Indiana is, um, or Bloomington, Indiana is also known not only for IU basketball, but for their limestone, and their limestone has been cut and sent around the world to uh, build some of the most gorgeous buildings because um, limestone is beautiful to look at until it comes in contact with acid rain, and then it weathers very easily. But anyways, I digress on my chemistry lesson tonight. This beer is an imperial stout, so for those of you that are uh, fans of kind of hoppy beers or hoppy stouts, um, this one here, it is a very interesting beer. Um, when you go to first drink it and you, um, you know, kind of get a whiff of the uh, the aroma of it and then swallow down, 
it really smacks you in the face a little bit with the hops. But I've never experienced a beer that mellowed out so quickly after that. It smoothed out very well. And it's a very dark beer, very malty and hoppy, but it is assaultive on the front end and it's very smooth on the back end. Um, and I've, I've really enjoyed this beer tonight. Um, a little bit pricey, not as pricey as, um, the uh, Goose Island, but uh, I got it actually at Trader Joe's and I went to Trader Joe's night to get a beer, not this beer. I just happened to uh, stumble upon it and that's the beer that I, um, that I'm reviewing tonight. However, I went back to get the, uh, um, the Trader Joe's chocolate stout, which I had last weekend and uh, was wanting to leave the engagement I was at last weekend to go buy some more. That's how good it was. So I went tonight and got a couple of them. The great thing about their chocolate stout from Trader Joe's is it's only like $2.50 for a, for over a, a, almost like a pint and a half. It is super cheap and such good beer, but I will review that next time. Um, but this week here, the uh, the Empire Imperial Stout, very good. Like it a lot. And the AVB on it comes in at a, get ready, Steve, 10% AVB. And I am feeling every percent of that 10% tonight. Very nice. Wow. <clears throat> well, guys, I'm, you know what? I'm kind of cheating a little bit tonight. Well, I shouldn't say I'm cheating, but, uh, because this movie was made during World War II and the, uh, a lot of the action was taking place in, in France, went over to one of my favorite liquor stores and picked up a, uh, a nice Bordeaux. I said, very nice. I, I, I said I picked up a nice Bordeaux. I like that. You know, you know me, I'll bring wine to the table once in a while. You guys, Mock me when I do, but uh, I'm glad that you've seen the light and have refined uh, palate. Muncie, I said it. <laughs> You're just not biting, are you? I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to do it. I got it the first time. I loved it the second time, and I'm just. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction. <laughs> just right. not. No, but it, it is. It's very nice. This one is. It's a. Um, this is a 2009. It is the. Chateau Croix Le Bordeaux, I think, is the uh, French pronunciation because uh, <laughs> it's probably Chateau Croix de Bordeaux. You know, I think you pretty much nailed it. Thank you, Ken. That was it. I didn't take three semesters of high school French for nothing. <laughs> Very well done. Yes, uh, you did. Well, that's actually, what, yeah, I did. That's <laughs> what you, unless he's joined the Legion. What's the point? No, it's good. It's a good wine, and I picked it up because I thought, hey, what the hell? We're doing a movie about uh, guys uh, landing in France and killing Germans and French, and uh, the French weren't involved. And uh, hey, what what's better way to celebrate uh, that uh, uh, movie than uh, drinking a nice French Bordeaux wine? So there you go. Overall, like it? How, how's it? Is it like a fruity flavor or? It's this one. I'll tell you what. As Bordeaux's go, I'm not getting out my wine kick here, but I I like Bordeaux's. I like the drier, earthier. Uh, Me too. Yeah, I like them when they're earthier. Now, my dear lovely wife, she has like Bordeaux's because the one Bordeaux I got her, or I should say, got us. It was it was one of the more expensive ones, and she said, "I it, it feels like I'm drinking grapes through dirt." I'm like. That's what a Bordeaux is supposed to taste like. She's like, all right, you can have the rest of the bottle. She didn't like it. That's I, I like that earthy, musty, fruity taste. 
And that probably sounded really bad. But anyway. I have no idea how bad that sounded. But you know what? When you listen to it again, you'll understand how bad that sounded. People that like Bordeaux will go, yep, I know what you're saying. This one here is a little bit fruity. It, there's a little bit of an earthy taste to it, but not, not quite as much. I mean, I would get it again. This is a Bordeaux that you can serve with um, a lot of friends and family, but if there's people like me who like that really earthy type of Bordeaux, you probably wouldn't like it because it's a little bit more fruity. This is a Merlot. It's a very think of it as a very very dry Merlot, and that's what I would describe it as. So I'd, I would probably like it. You know what? I'd get you some more can, but I think I just bought the last bottle of it. That's okay. Yeah. I got Bordeaux here down in my basement. Oh, nice. crack it open. Very nice. All right, folks, uh, <clears throat> that is what uh, Jeff and I are having. So. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. Sad to say, but work and other commitments kind of cut into my social life this week, so I don't have a whole lot to report. I do have uh, one you know, good review I could pass on. Back in, uh, I think it was Thursday, I met with a couple friends of mine down at Adobo downtown. The lovely and gracious Aaron, her husband, uh, Jeff. Uh, we got together after work for drinks and dinner. Adobo, if you don't know it, it's it's essentially a tequila bar and Mexican restaurant, but it's an upscale Mexican restaurant. I'll say, you know, I had some enchiladas that were great. Those guys had, I forget what, but they're on a, a health kick, so they're eating light, healthy, salad-y sort of stuff, and I was eating enchiladas. But, uh, my enchiladas were great. I got talked out of getting the tequila. I was looking over there. They got an extensive tequila list, and I was looking over the various brands and thinking about trying a new one, but I got connived into sharing a pitcher of sangria uh, with Aaron, and so we did. I thought I was getting – I thought we were all going to share the sangria, but Jeff had beer. So he had his beer. I had sangria uh, and enchiladas. It was all delicious. But other than that, this week, kind of, kind of a, a, just a work week. I went to Columbus and had some cookies at the, at the county fairgrounds, but that's not too exciting. Other than that, that's about it. Not much to report. Uh, I can say that tonight, I am drinking Captain and Coke. That's a good choice. Rum and Coke, that's good. Yep. I, I like Bacardi, just straight unflavored rum. Generally, but uh, I keep some Captain Morgan down there because sometimes you just want a little spiced rum. You know, Captain Morgan's good stuff. It is. So, anyways, that's what's going on with me. Awesome. Very nice. Oh, and I will say I'm going to casino tomorrow. I plan to win a fortune playing penny slots. Awesome. Where are you going? Who's your Indiana partner? Live? Okay. Oh, taking yeah. mom down there. She likes to play the uh, penny slot. So, if I can fight my way through to the Lord of the Rings penny slots. It was nice to me last time. I hope to win a bunch on the the Saruman bonus round. <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Well, very good luck to you, Ken. All right. Uh, Is it Saruman or Saruman? Saruman. Is there an H? Is there an H in there? Is no. that Saruman Booker? No. S a r u m a n. Oh, gosh. All right, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You're Drinking and what Ken's doing for the weekend. 
Uh, so it's now time for Eclipse. You know what? what? I never went through my trivia. I never went through it. You never called on me. You son of a bitch. Well, we were in the trivia section, and you didn't you never in. So you never right, called. You, know you never called on me. Fine. As my geology professor once said to me when I said, Professor, I overslept and I couldn't make the test. He said, young man, you need to show some initiative in your life. <laughs> what does that have to do with now? You should have shown your initiative and jumped in when Steve was doing it's called respect. initiative. It's called respect. When, and it's respect towards me because when I told him, like, I don't know, 20 minutes before that in the podcast, he's like, okay, well, we'll do that during – I expected him to run and, like, call on me and say, Jeff, you're next. And, you know, I you know, I just I just assumed. You know what you do when you assume you end up getting new people that make an ass out of me. And so here's what I wanted to say. Um, I wanted to run through uh, – because we had talked about how how did Lee Marvin not get an Academy Award for this movie or um, maybe how did John Castanevitz not get an Academy Award. Um, but here's, here's some interesting things about um, the supporting actor list for that year. Um, John Castanevitz. Casavetes, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the 10% alcohol here. Um, John Casavetes, um, who was nominated, was also nominated with Gene Hackman in Bonnie and Clyde, um, George Kennedy in Cool Hand Luke, and George Kennedy was actually the winner of that for for his portrayal in Cool Hand Luke. So really, John Casavetes. Excuse me. Um, was in some, I mean, some uh, heavy duty competition there. And that's not to mention Michael Pollard, who was also in Bonnie and Clyde with Gene Hackman. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, I didn't know they were up against those. Oh, my gosh. I didn't either. I was just kind of curious. Um, the second thing, I just want to point out that, I mean, you want to talk about a couple of, um, of heavyweight contenders that year. Uh, for Best Actor, there was Rod Steiger in The Heat of the Night, Warren Beatty in Bonnie and Clyde, Dustin Hoffman in The Graduate, Paul Newman in Cool Hand Luke, and Spencer Tracy in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. I mean, those were for Best Actor. I mean, that's a phenomenal group of people, and Rod Steiger ended up winning that in uh, in The Heat of the Night. And um, just as a follow-up for the actress, Best Actress that year, you had Catherine Hepburn in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Anne Bancroft, and... Bancroft and The Graduate, Faye Dunaway and Bonnie and Clyde, and uh, Audrey Hepburn and Wait Until Dark. And uh, Catherine Hepburn actually won the Academy Award that year for Best Actress. So just, I mean, just a huge, 1967 was just a like a, a great year for um, Academy Award uh, winning uh, watching. That's all i got to say. Okay, I'm done. Muncie, out. Well, thank you, Jeff, for that uh, bonus trivia review of this great and fantastic film. All right, folks, that is it with uh, trivia, what we're drinking, and uh, Jeff Muncy bonus trivia for the show. So we are now moving on to clips. Clips! All right, let's see. Number one. I didn't write those reports. Just what is that supposed to mean? I don't necessarily agree with what's in them. Maybe you'd uh, like to write your own. Well, thank you, sir. I'm not very interested in embroidery, only in results. <laughs> Witty, I say. All right, uh, number two. Major Reisman seems to be heading toward a court-martial of his own. He's without a doubt the most ill-mannered, ill-disciplined officer that's ever been my displeasure to meet. You think so, Denton? You may be right. Uh, let's see. All right, here. Clint Walker, one of my man crushes. 
I reckon the folks would be a sight happier if I died like a soldier. Can't say I would. <laughs> I agree. Uh, let's see. I don't know what this one here. Oh, I like this part. This is number four. This is called, I, I refer to this one as Shoot the Major. <laughs> well, what do you think, Sergeant? I think you'll do just fine, sir. Don't give me that. I said, what do you think? I think the first chance one of them lovers gets is going to shoot the major right in the head, sir. <laughs> and, and guess who's the major? <laughs> yeah, that's Lee Marvin. All right, guys, I had this one specially marked because this, this, this is the quote that literally had me laughing on the floor because this is Lee Marvin talking to the troops like they were five-year-olds. And you guys, I mean, you guys have seen the movie, so you'll know what I'm talking about. It's the look at his face and the expressions that he makes is what makes it so funny. Because every time I hear this quote, I just start laughing my ass off. So here we go. So it's you said that mayonnaise was the only one supposed to get on top of that chateau. But suppose Jimenez gets killed before he gets to the top of that chateau. <laughs> <laughs> How was he holding his arm and wrist at that moment? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's a Willem Dafoe moment if I've ever heard it. Oh, I can I can see if they do if they did the remake of this a few years ago, Willem Dafoe could do Major Rice. But there's a great scene in um, the Boondock Saints where William Defoe has one of those moments, doesn't he, Steve? Okay, I'm good. I'm good. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> I'm back. I was just saying that William Defoe has one of those moments in um, the Boondock Saints. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Which is another one we have to get on the list soon. It's streaming. We we probably should do it. Shit, yeah. I, I, I've owned that ever since I found out about that movie. That is a great movie. And folks, I mean, forgive my loss of control there, but... They do every episode, Steve. You've got to see the scene, because it's just... <laughs> you have to picture Lee Marvin standing with a grease gun on his hip. The way he is... with The way he delivers the scene is priceless. It's so out of persona for Lee Marvin. Oh, my God. I mean, there's very few times I want to replay a clip, but, man, that's one of them, and I'm going to move on. All right. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, number six. I don't remember what the hell this one is. But along with these other results, it gives you just about the most twisted antisocial bunch of psychopathic deformities I have ever run into. And the worst... The most dangerous of the bunch is Maggot. You've got one religious maniac, one malignant dwarf, two mere idiots, and the rest I don't even want to think about. Okay. He, he pretty much called it. Dwarf. I, I want to know who's the malignant dwarf in this group. He had me a dwarf. <laughs> Speaking of dwarf, have either of you guys been watching Game of Thorns? <laughs> No, I have no. You mean Game of Thrones? <laughs> Whatever that is. What did yes, I say? I have, well, I've been watching. I've got, I'm up did to I the say, end of last season. Did I say Thorns? I'm sorry. Yes. Game of Thrones. Good I've Lord. I've been watching it up to last season. Oh, my God. I'll tell you what. The actor that plays the dwarf in that, 
Peter I, Dinklage. Oh my god, I had my doubts. I started watching it this last week, and that dude has rocketed up to my favorite character. Oh, and you're, I, you're just starting to watch. I it? am just starting. I've never watched it. We never, we haven't had really HBO, and I was never really turned on to it. But we're kind of coming into a dry season for me on TV. <laughs> And because Justify, you know, Walking Dead wrapped up, Justify's wrapping up. Um, it's going to be a while till Sons of Anarchy starts. Anyways, I, I, I've, I've been on spring break, so I've been watching shit. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch this Game of Thrones. And I just finished season one. And I'll tell you what, that dude is impressive. But anyway, yes, give it up for the dwarves. That's all I got to say. Back on track. All right, let's see. Number seven. Which one of you guys wants to be a general? A general? You're one? Bigly. <laughs> what kind of a general, sir? Just a plain, ordinary, everyday, home of an American general. I'd rather be a civilian, sir. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, let's see. Number nine. This is what. Um, yeah, this is when they're bringing the hookers into the uh, into the room for the guys. I could only get eight, sir. It's uh, it's like cops, right? If you really want one, you can't find them at all. Good evening, ladies. Good evening, <laughs> Number nine. Blimey, they're filthy. They may be, lady, but they sure do mean well. Uh, <laughs> All present and accounted for, Major. Oh, uh, gosh. One of my favorites. All right, last and not least. I take it you don't deny your responsibility for the fact that on the night of April 14-15, a military establishment of the United States Army was the scene of a drunken party at which no less than seven female civilians took an active part. Oh, yes, sir. They took an active part, all right. (laughs) Maybe one of my favorite lines in the movie. And the thing of it is, is that the whole thing about this movie is Lee Marvin, he delivers his lines in this deadpan delivery, and it works. It works so well in this movie because he is one of those guys where it's like, I, you know what? I just don't give a shit. Yeah, I respect your rank, but f- you. I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to do a job here. You're giving me all this grief. I'm just trying to do a job. And I love his delivery. Everybody plays a straight in this movie. Um, you could say that Sutherland and um, Franco or you know, a little bit left of center, but everybody's playing it straight. And Lee Marvin is playing it the straightest as he can. But at the same time, he does just a spectacular job of delivering lines in the best way. Absolutely. Uh, all right, folks, that is it with, um, clips. It is now time to move on to the man cave movie review checklist of this great and fantastic film. Number one. Did anyone jump out of a window? No. In the chateau scene, they shot a German who fell through the window, shattering it to pieces. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, it's one of those things. He didn't jump. He didn't go through it intentionally, but he went through it. Yeah, that's good. I mean, like I said, we have to put. I'll take it. We have to put it through legal. They they, they'll accept that one. Oh gosh! All right, let's see. Number two. If you want him. Come and claim him. Was a Liv Tyler role in the movie? No. This movie was so testosterone laden. The, the female actors just sort of, even if they were significant or insignificant, they sort of blend into the background. 
Yeah. All right, number three. Could the female role be better played by Tonya Katane? Maggot could have killed her. Well, there's that. I mean, the fact that there were like no female roles other than the you know the British hookers and the uh, the German hookers. Eh. Well, I mean, I mean, you got to put her in there, but you would have never seen her because she would have just got. Mixed up with all the others, so this I is. I think uh, Tawny can do the British accent, and I know she can't do German. Well, there's that. So, well, you know what? That, be honest with you, it's like there's hardly female roles in this movie, other than uh, it, it, it's it's a it's a manly movie for guys. Yeah, I mean, this it, is guys. This is about as manly as you get. That's right. Yeah, Th- this movie has enough testosterone to stock up three or four low T centers. <laughs> Oh, nice. Very well done. All right, let's see, number uh, whatever this is. Was there an 18 montage in this movie? I still kind of think the whole scene there in the center of the movie where they're doing their war games is sort of a montage, but maybe maybe that might be stretching it. Ditto. Uh, <clears throat> here it comes. Gentlemen, you have disappointed me. You have failed me for the last time. You know, I I can't believe I didn't even have that queued up. I have failed myself for the last time for not having queued up to fail you for the last time. Guys, the whole montage when he brings them up to the point to build their own. Oh, yeah, the building. Yeah, the building of their own barracks. Yeah, true. Now, I may have went out of the room for a sandwich at that moment. You have failed me for the last time. Thank you oh, for not, not the last failing to play that. <laughs> Thank you for not failing to play that. Um, that, that, yeah, there, there is the, uh, yeah, that is the, the guaranteed montage. And I like that part in the movie because, you know, he's like, well, you know what? You know, to have, what's the best way to have them come together as a group? Well, then, you know, if you want, if you want a place to sleep, you better build it. But you know what that was it? It was all about building teamwork. Oh, yeah. That's, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that you, you don't realize it until you really sit and kind of analyze this movie. All the stuff that he did was about, you know, these, none of these guys got along with each other, but he got them to work with each other. I mean, I thought that was really good. All right. Last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie? You know, if we were doing... The dirty does on the final mission. I knew it. <laughs> you knew it. Because <laughs> there were a bunch of sequels and TV series and things like that. But just in the final mission alone, there was like three different um, B5 connections. But if we're just sticking with the dirty dozen. Yes. No, there's not. Too old. Yep. You would have to be digging deep. For some of the old guys, but yeah. I, I think in the final mission, um, Morgan Shepard was in there along with Jeff Conway and I think, um, the doctor. Jeff Conway was in? I think so. Wow. But we're not talking about the final mission. They don't count. No, not the final. Th- I'm sorry, the fatal mission. All right, folks, that is it with the uh, Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. We are now going to close this out with the Man Cave Movie Review of this great and fantastic film. Ken? I'm going to give this movie a 9.5. 
holy shit. Because it's one of those movies, as a young guy, I saw it and went like, this is great. I love this movie. It's got action. It's, you know, it's got all that hard to define stuff that one of these late sixties, early seventies, World War II movies needs. It's got a stellar cast. It's got guys that were young unknowns that became something big. It's got guys that were established at the time. It's got Steve's boyfriend. It's, it's a great <laughs> movie. It's got a plot. <laughs> Yes, that has its ups and downs. It keeps you writing, you know, lots of tension. It's well written. I don't think anybody's going to not. It's well written. It's got a lot of great lines. <laughs> it keeps you on the edge of your seat, I think. Now, I know that there's people that say, like, well, it really didn't happen. Or, you know, it overdoes it with the darkness or, you know, you know, it's very, it's very cynical. And I, I get that. I understand that. But when it comes down to it, you know, I'm, I'm a board, I'm borderline loving this movie. I, you know, I can't give it a solid 10 because there's a few little glitches in there that kind of bug me. But overall, like I said, a 9.5. I'm giving it a high score. Wow. Nice. I just want you to know, you know, he's not my boyfriend. He is not my boyfriend. <laughs> That's not what Jeff thinks. He, he was my boyfriend. <laughs> Cloris Leachman will get me to laugh at that every single time. I'm just saying, I mean, Clint Walker was a good-looking dude. I mean, he I was can a nice die. strapping man, wasn't he, Steve? Damn right he was. Moving on now. No, I think it's I think I think Ken summed it up. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I can't anything else. Guys, that is it for Man Cave Movie Review, episode 105. That's 105. If you like the show, check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. Because we can take the criticism. Especially Jeff. He loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, if I had feelings, they'd be hurt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, look for us on Stitcher. We're there too. And follow us on Twitter at Men Cave Movie. So until then, I am your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Ken. The general is in the trunk, Roni. Don't push me. I don't like being pushed. <laughs> See, there you go. And also signing off is our other very good dear friend, Jeff the Grubworm Muncie. You know, I just want to say to all of my uh, dedicated Facebook followers and friends out there who are just as excited about this Godzilla movie that's opening up in less than a month and a half, there has been a lot of releases this week of TV spots which um, have um, shined a whole new light on this movie that's coming out. And I encourage all of you to go out there on YouTube or at GodzillaMovies.com and check out all of the new TV spots that have been released this last week. It is worth minutes of your time. Thank you. I didn't even plan that. All right. And saying farewell, uh, do and Alvito Zan, and he voted present. 
is our other good and dear friend, Mark Obengruppenfuhrer Slover, uh, says farewell and adieu, and he will be back next week. So that's it, folks. That's it for episode 105. Hope you enjoyed the show. Until next week, ciao. Guys, that is it for Man Cave Movie Review, episode 105. That's 105. If you like the show, check us out at our website at mancavemoviereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review and leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. Because we can take the criticism. Especially Jeff. He loves that kind of stuff. Yeah, if I had feelings, they'd be hurt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, look for us on Stitcher. We're there too. And follow us on Twitter at Men Cave Movie. So until then, I'm your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Jen. With- <laughs> I, you know, and I was pulling for you, Steve. I was pulling for you. I said one time, <laughs> one time, and and you can't do it. <laughs> you really have you really have Clint Walker on the mind, don't you? You know I did this shit really good when you were here. I'm I know you did. I know you did. It's all because of me. Maybe it's because you look at me as the Clint Walker of the group. <sighs> Jeff, I can assure you, with no fear of contradiction, he does not think of you as the Clint Walker of anything. Well, thanks, Ken, for reinforcing what I already knew. Jeff? Son of a bitch must pay. (laughs) I do every time we hang out. Absolutely. Speaking of that, I, I got an allergy test this last week, and um, and I found out that I'm really not allergic to many things. But um, uh, what I did find out that I was allergic to assholes, and that explains why I'm around you, Steve. Um, I, I get this nervous tick. <laughs> that was uncalled for. Don't worry, Ken. I could have threw your name in there instead of his. And if Mark was here, I definitely would have threw his name in there. So... It was just a placeholder, that's all. You can cut all that out. I really No, that's going to blooper clip. Alright. <clears throat> I think you were you were at signing off with my good and dear friend. Alright. Jeff. Alright. <laughs> <laughs>